Thank you, Leslie and Paul. And good to see all of the rest of you here as well. Let's get uh, right to it. Let's go to your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. Acts chapter 10 and verse 1. We continue on. Actually, uh, this is uh, an amazing little episode, if you will. Last week we looked at, we brought Peter back into it, if you will. And he is, is a man that God has done miraculous things with. You, you'd have to say the same. I mean, this is a fisherman that Jesus called. He summoned him and said he would make him fishers of men. I don't think Peter had a clue what he was about to get into. Uh, we found him stumbling through his walk with three years with Jesus. And I have to use those words. He stumbled along, tripped over his own feet. His foot went in his mouth numbers of times. Um, he told him at the end that, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And then ultimately, within a few hours, he denied him three times, even knowing who he was. And all through all of that, now we have found an unbelievable transformation. That's what we talked about last week. The transformation of Peter is nothing short of miraculous. And there was two miracles that we saw that Peter was involved in, was healing a man that had been uh, paralyzed for eight years. and was literally bound, confined to bed. And then there was literally raising this Dorcas or Tabitha from the dead. Raised him up. Raised her up. I'm sorry. Her up from the dead, literally bringing her back to life. But there's something that he's going to be engaged in now. We won't even get through it entirely today. But Peter's going to do, be part of the, one of the most miraculous things that could even possibly have been thought of. And that would be bringing a Gentile to the family of God. He being a Jew, hardcore Jew, we'll be talking about that as we go on. But this, this beginning in chapter 10 of Acts is a miracle beyond miracles. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming in to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid, and he said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. When the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the, on the morrow, as they went up on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up onto the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. He became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending on him, onto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. 
This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto me, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, and therefore get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause wherewith you were come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into, thy, into his house, and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in, and lodged them. And on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanying him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, and fell down at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in, and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, You know how that it is unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company, or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying. As soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore for what intent you have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to him, I'm sorry, therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God and to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. And may God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let's just bow for prayer before we begin our study. Father God, thank you for allowing us to be here. You being in our midst. Father, as we have lifted our voices in praise, as Paul has led us in prayer, Father, those things are meant to glorify you, to give you all of the awesome sovereignty that you and you alone have. This scripture that we've read is, again, speaks so highly of the sovereignty that you and you alone have. Father, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher today, that you would take us where you want us to be, and you would hold us there in the center of your will. Father, we would ask that we would see even more clearly today than ever before how sweet the relationship is that Jesus Christ made possible through his death, his burial, and his resurrection to bring us ultimately to a life that is eternal with no end in the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we reach out to you, having you search our hearts, take the word through the Spirit, and make us what you want us to be. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> well, as we've said, uh, Peter 
has kind of come back into the, and actually uh, chapters 1 through 12 of Acts, or Peter is ex- extremely prominent. He's everywhere. It's amazing. The guy has is, is went from a fisherman to literally leading the pack, if you will, in the church's formation and its continuation. He's, he's there for teaching. He's there for administration in the sense of directing. There's also something, though, that we don't want to miss here. Uh, we're going to, Laramie, if you could throw the map back on the wall, we'll kind of get our geography going on. Because there's a man, actually, there's a guy that's there in this place called Caesarea. And we would have to ask, well, why wasn't he involved? I mean, he's obviously risen to the occasion. His name was Philip. Philip, if you find, in, in fact, let's just go back to your, uh, to the, your scripture in chapter 8 and verse 40 of Acts. We found him in the, the leading of the eunuch to to be saved. And we find in Acts chapter, four, Acts chapter 8 and verse 40, it says that Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached into all cities till he came to Caesarea. Okay? So Philip ends up in Caesarea. Philip being that deacon, if you will, one of the seven that were selected, another one would have been Stephen. Remember? Stephen's the one that really allowed the church to go poofski. I mean, it was amazing. God used persecution to literally just expand the church beyond borders that we would have Never even imagined. Uh, not to say that wasn't in part of God's plan. We know that he wanted to start with the Jews in Jerusalem. We find that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Maybe the key verse for the whole book of Acts. And then Samaria. Um, that Philip was very instrumental in that. I mean, that, that was where it was happening. Now, if you look here, we find Joppa. That's where we have Peter has landed. Uh, we were in last week in Lydda, which would have been about 10 miles from Joppa. Lydda was the place that literally this man that was paralyzed for eight years, was healed. Uh, Then we find that Peter went to Joppa. He's been hanging out at Joppa at a most unsavory place. If you were a Jew, the last place that you'd probably hang out for, it says many days, it was the last verse in chapter 9, with a tanner. A tanner was very much looked down upon if you were a high-class Jew because they would have dealt with dead things all of the time. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I mean, this is a really big deal. And for Peter to to take habitation or to be kind of put up by this, that's breaking some walls down. And you'll find that this chapter that we've read today is breaking walls down. It's amazing in our country in which we find ourselves living today. And across the world, there's walls going up. There's walls of racism. There's walls of differences of opinion. And and it's amazing the separation that we have going on in our world today. There's wokeness and being awake and all of that stuff, which is a joke to me because it has nothing to do with anything except to divide people. That's what the Jews and Gentiles literally, there wouldn't have been a bigger wall, a thicker wall than would have been between Jews and Gentiles. Uh, There's a huge wall that was already begun to be broken down between the Jews and the Samaritans. We've talked about it earlier, but if you were a Jew and you were up in Galilee, you wouldn't go through Samaria. You would rather add some miles to your journey, which wasn't in a Lincoln Continental. It would have been uh, through the foot zone, and you would have went around to not even go through Samaria. But the Gentiles, on the other hand, folks, they weren't even discussed in the same sentence. I don't know if you knew, there's some really weird stuff. And you talk about division. You talk about racism, whatever you might want to say it is in America. The difference between a Jew and Gentile is another level. Do you know that if a Gentile milked a cow, that that milk could not be drank by a Jew? (laughs) 
whoa, right? You couldn't even leave a Gentile in the room of a Jewish food preparation because that food would then be defiled and could not be eaten by Jews. That's a pretty big wall. And that's the wall that God's going to break down. Well, as you've looked here, uh, if you keep going up the coast, there's that little town. Well, I shouldn't even say a little town. That was, a, that was one of the most gorgeous towns that was actually constructed. It was called Caesarea. It was actually the place that Pilate, remember where Pilate was at on, on the day of Passover when Jesus Christ was crucified? He was in Jerusalem. It was a really big feast. It was a really big holiday, if you will. And so they wanted a Roman contingency to be there in case of any kind of rebellious outbreak or insurrections. But really where Pilate hung out, where his home was, was in Caesarea. That was the Roman capital, if you will, of Judea. That was the place that literally Caesar Augustus had given to uh, Herod. And then tons of money went to build that place to look beautiful. Caesarea was absolutely a gorgeous place. Well, this is where we find our man Cornelius. Cornelius is a centurion. And it's amazing. I'd sometimes do, maybe sometime do a study just under centurion. Go through your... your uh, concordance and look at centurion see how many people were engaged with either jesus or apostles that were centurions those men for the most part that certainly the ones we're acquainted with through scripture feared god it's amazing now they're romans uh, obviously gentiles but he would have been in charge of a hundred men now a cohort i should just take a step back a roman legion was a six thousand men there was thought to be in caesarea Typically, 5,000 men would have been there at all times. I'm talking about armed soldiers. Now, of a legion, there would have been six cohorts. Sorry, I got that wrong. A cohort? No, that's right. Six cohort. There would have been 10 cohorts. 600 men would be in a cohort. These six centurions now would have been handling this cohort. Mr. Cornelius would have been a centurion handling 100 of those men. Now, obviously, place of authority, place of responsibility, uh, that would have been home to him. That's where we find geographically where we're at, 30 miles north of Joppa, by about 65 miles from Jerusalem. Um, it's interesting some of the terms that are displayed for us or given to us. Uh, one of the things, oh, one thing I want to come back. I asked a question, didn't answer it. I do that regularly, don't I? Um, I took you back to Caesarea. There's a man by the name of Philip that was very, it was very engaged, we found in Acts chapter 8. There was a, a eunuch, remember that? He kind of finds this guy. God's timing was amazing. We're going to find the same thing today. But as soon as the man receives Christ, poof, away goes Philip, right? And he's actually in, in this place. He ends up at, at Ashdod or Azotus, and he ends up ultimately living most of his life in at Caesarea. He's there right now. Now, the other thing that, you know how we've been, it seems like time has almost drug on from Acts chapter 1. It was like, you know, just a few weeks, a few months after Jesus' resurrection, the church at Jerusalem begins, okay? But actually, if you start to follow through in the last chapter, time has went hooshki. Because, remember who got saved a couple weeks ago on the road to Damascus? Paul? He actually ended up being out of circulation for three to five years. This event that we're talking about right now in Acts chapter 10 is probably 10 years after the Feast of Pentecost. And you say, well, why did it take so long to get to the Gentiles? <laughs> there was no interest in evangelizing the Gentiles. Now, 
unless there be an exception or two here, all of you are here because of this day that took place in Acts chapter 10. We are Gentiles. We are ones that really were included within the church of God because God saw fit. I am, I tell you what, Acts chapter 10, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It allows me to be part of the church, if you will. So 10 years probably have taken place since the Feast of Pentecost. As we go to the point, why was not Philip the one that, I mean, he's there, he's in town, he lives there. They may have even known each other for all we know. There's a real big reason. Jesus Christ, we talked about it last week, I think, he asked the question, who do you say that I am? Or who do men say that I am? And they answered various answers, right? Isaiah, one of the prophets. He said, who do you say I am? And Peter, I really think through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Isn't that fantastic? And he says, blessed art thou, son of Barjona, right? And then it says, upon this rock, not, not Peter, the rock, on the rock, the foundation that Christ, the Son of the living God, that's the rock that the church is going to be founded on. But then there's something else that he did say to Peter individually. You will have the keys of the kingdom. Now let's think about that for a moment. He's unlocking doors. In fact, I'm just thinking of something now. Turn to, uh, where was that at? Oh, maybe I'm not going to get it right now. Where was that? Uh, let me look. Yeah, here it is. Uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 27. Acts chapter 14, verse 27. And, and they're rehearsing some of the things that took place, but watch how it's opened, how, how this is talked about. Acts 14, 27. When they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had, look, opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Uh, guess who was instrumental in opening those doors? Was Peter. If you think about it, who, who preached the first sermon in Jerusalem for the Jews to literally begin? The beginning of the church was Peter. He opened the doors to the Jews. How about at Samaria? Now, Philip was there, but guess who came on board to literally put the anointing of the Holy Spirit on it to be part of the validation? It was Peter and John. Now, we're going to have Peter heading up to Caesarea to begin the Gentiles entering into the body of Christ. Peter is the one that has the keys to opening salvation, to making the church available to every single one. That verse that Jesus said, and you will have the keys of the kingdom. That's exactly what's going on here. Exactly what's going on. So with that, let's, uh, let's go back to our passage that we read in Acts chapter 10. Uh, we've, we've noticed we're in Caesarea. We've described it. We have Cornelius. He has a centurion of the band called the Italian band. He more than likely, our, our map doesn't show it here, but he probably would have hailed from Italy and would have been called into this place through the, through the, uh, the Roman emperor as serving in Judea. But he was one that it says in verse 2, he was a devout man. He was very religious. He was one that, this is interesting, one that feared God with all his house. That's something that's different. If you were going to take Gentiles, you could break them into three groups, if you will, from a Jewish perspective. One is just an ordinary Gentile, someone that just is literally shown, known as heathen. They had no interest in anything about what they were doing. Okay? The second one would have been one that literally feared God. This is what's described for us as Cornelius. It's someone that would have seen the effects and the importance of the Israeli God and feared him. 
but wouldn't have went to the third level, and that was to be a proselyte. They literally would have went through the rites and ordinances, uh, the rite of circumcision. Uh, Cornelius had not done that. The proselyte was literally, he was everything that a Jew is, except he still was a Gentile. Okay, there was like, even the divisions in the temple. Think of that. that alarm me, maybe put that, uh, the temple up there, if you have that handy. And this actually, the whole temple is derived from a sense of separation. Um, the outside, the outer court, the furthest out would have been the Gentile courtyard. We talked about the church itself was spent a lot of time in, in, in bringing the new members to the church in the Gentile courtyard. Each, each one that you went in, it doesn't have us quite, it's not quite delineated, but the next one that would have went in was the court of the women. Okay, you have the Gentiles, you'd have the women, then you'd have the, the Israelite men, then you would have where the priests could be, and then ultimately all the way into the very innermost, the Holy of Holies. That was where the high priest could go one day out of one year, as long as he was qualified. And if he wasn't, he was dead. Think of that. Now, it's interesting, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, things started to get smashed. And you didn't start on the outside, you started on the inside. The veil, which was thought to be up to two feet thick, literally was torn from top to bottom. I can't imagine if you were a priest on duty that day, you saw things you'd never seen before. You, I can't look, right? You're not supposed to look even. And that was its condition. And you know what? Literally, Jesus Christ, when he died, everything in that temple was absolutely useless. It had no value. Because now... The Gentile, which now is just uncovering this. If you would have told Peter, even at Jesus Christ's resurrection, that the Gentiles and the Jews would be on the same page in the same family at the same time, he would have said, nonsense, it can never be. And yet, that's exactly what took place. There was no division any longer. Even if you were at, in the courtyard of the Gentiles, you could have literally went right to the Holy of Holies. And that's why it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, we can come boldly unto the throne of grace. We're no longer at the throne of judgment, the throne of legalism. We are literally at the throne of grace because Jesus Christ paid for everything that was required to get to the Holy of Holies. All of those things were taken down. I can't tell you how thankful I am for that. Cornelius is about to find some things out. Peter is going to learn a lot of things as well. Now, it's interesting that this is a man that feared God. And he gave much alms, it says in verse 2 of chapter 10, to the people. And that would be giving alms to the Jews. And he prayed to God always. Now, what would you say about this man right now? You'd be pretty impressed, wouldn't you? If you would have met him on the street, you'd be pretty impressed. He would be like what people would call religious. Uh, I can't tell you how many people have said, you know, you're very religious. I said, I hope not. I want to get beyond religion. Religion is just man reaching up to God. I want God to reach down to me. I can't get it. I'm not big enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not nothing. And there's nothing. Religion. Now, here's a man that's very religious, but you know what? He's still not saved. How do I know that? Let's go to chapter 11 and verse 14. Uh, what Peter is doing, he's replaying this, if you will. Let's see. 11:14. Verse 14. 
Yeah, okay, he's, ask, he's actually, uh, he showed us how an angel had seen an angel, an angel in his house, I'm sorry, verse 13, which stood and said, send men to Joppa, call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. We're obviously talking about Cornelius. Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. What is that telling us? Prior to Peter coming there, they were not saved. Very religious, not saved. That's a big message today, isn't it? There's a whole lot of people that traditionally are following after what their fathers did fathers or mothers or whatever, the church or whatever, doesn't mean you're saved. We're going to find out maybe next week what literally it does mean to be saved, and most of you here know what that means. But to be religious doesn't mean anything, honestly. That's all about man's made. It's all, it's stuff without being saved. So Cornelius is a great guy, just doesn't know Jesus. And all of a sudden, as he's praying to God, he, in verse 3 of chapter 10, he saw in a vision Evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, it tells us. The ninth hour would be about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That would have been a time of prayer if you were a Jew. You'll find that if you go back to Daniel, there was times to pray. You know, the third, the sixth, and the ninth hours. They were three hours apart, and that was a time of Jews going and spending time in prayer. This is not a Jew, but you can see the significance of him wanting to be, because he feared the same God as the Jews, to be very much in speed or in, in step with the Jews and particularly in this day, he was praying to God at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. An angel of God coming unto him saying, Cornelius, he's, in this vision, he's addressed by his personal name. And when he looked on him, he was afraid. And I, uh, you know, when you think about this guy, if wouldn't be afraid of much of anything, right? He's a Roman. He's a centurion. He has 100 men under him. He would have been looked at with a great deal of, what should I say, respect, but here's this angel. Now, I'm not sure about you guys, but if I see an angel, I probably would be afraid as well. Just the stark difference of everything that's taking place. So we find Cornelius being that. He was afraid. What is it, Lord? What do you want? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. God has heard you. And one of the things it would seem, would you not say right now, now we've already unpacked the fact that this man is very religious, he's very devout, he would be seen as a works-oriented kind of a guy, he's not a proselyte of, Jew, of, of Judaism, but he's certainly encaptured by it. He's, he's very interested in knowing more about God. He's seeking God. Would you not say so? He's seeking God. Now, there's something that's important about that. Now, God is totally instigating this through his sovereignty. He picks Cornelius out. I can't come up with no other reason. You, you have to find God specifically picking Cornelius. Now, one of the things that bothers us, if, and there's part I'm not going to be able to explain to you today, and that is the sovereignty of God, election, if you will, versus the will of man, or the, or the will of, I'll just say the will of man. So those two things collide in our minds, don't they? How can it fit together? It's easier for me to say this. Uh, there's no question that God wants all men to be saved. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God will that all would come to repentance. I mean, and Jesus Christ died for all men. There's, it wasn't like there was, oh, I'm so sorry. Jesus' blood was only good for about 7 billion people, and you're not in that 7 billion people. I'm so sorry. No, 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 it's not like that. There's enough of Jesus Christ's blood and grace for every single person. Everyone that's ever been born. That's ever not been born. Those are the safest, actually. Someone that died before they were born. They are literally in God's hands immediately. Isn't that good? That's a God of, that's a God of love. And it says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. 
So he had his method of doing that. Now, God's sense of election or ordination, I'm the first to say, I don't fully understand it. But I know this, that God's sovereignty and man's submissive will always go together. God never saves someone against their will. You see that? That's good enough for me. (laughs) That's good enough for me. I will never understand the fullness of God and his elective purposes. I don't even understand why he lets us live, honestly. Right? That's love unawares, right? Why would you keep going on with us? After Adam and Eve sinned, I would have said, restart. But before, and he knew that was going to happen. That's what's even more amazing. And he had loved us enough to choose us in Christ before he made any of us. Wow. But you'll find now, Cornelius, even though God is sovereignly reacting, he's sovereignly preparing him, his will is very submissive to that, Cornelius's. You'll find the submissive will and God's election to go perfectly hand in hand. That much we can see and know without a question. That's good enough for me. God never chooses. In other words, he's not going to try to force you to love him. He doesn't come to Paul and say, even though you don't want to love me, Paul, you're going to love me. doesn't work like that, does it? That submissive will is in agreement with God's sovereignty. That's above and beyond my pay grade. I can't understand it because God, and I'm glad I can't understand all things. Can you imagine if I had a God that I could understand everything about him? He's not big enough because I'm not that smart. I don't want to know everything that God knows because I want my God to know way more than I could possibly even comprehend. I want him to be infinite. I am finite. And if I can understand him, my God's too small. That's one of the problems is people want to put a God in a box. They want to be able to understand their God, and they want him to be finite. They want to be able to totally see within their own mind of who he is. No, no, that's not a big enough God. That is not a big enough God. You haven't got one that's gracious enough, one that's loving enough, one that's sovereign enough, one that's powerful. He's not big enough. So I'm okay with not understanding every aspect. But this here, we have sovereign, God's sovereign will in place, but we also have man's submissive will agreeing with that election. True? That makes a big difference. So Cornelius is seeking. Now, that's something that's very important here. If you're here today and you are seeking God and yet you still haven't trusted Christ as Savior, and I don't know why that is, but it doesn't matter. If you're consciously seeking after God, I've got good news. Just like Cornelius, who is praying always. Did you see that? He's not saved. We've already proven that. We went to 11.14. How do we be saved? He's not saved. He's not trusted Christ. But he is seeking God. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13. If you're here today and you're searching or seeking after God, God will continue to lighten the path, give you more light. He will show you more Look at verse 13 of Jeremiah chapter 29. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. If you're searching for God, you will find him. Because he sovereignly is calling you. 
This is, again, your, your will coming together with God's elective purposes. If you're seeking God, that's great news. That is great news. Now, however, I find I, this is the thing I have underlined in my, in my Bible. Not that you need to, but it says he was a God-fearer. He feared God. Uh, it just struck me as I read that over the last week. How many people in the United States today just seems they have not only not an interest, I mean, that don't fear God, they don't even have an interest in God. That's scary to me. That is really, really scary. It seems to me that someone, and by the way, someone that does not fear God is seen as a fool in the Proverbs, right? It's one of the dumbest things you can do is not to fear the Lord God. Atheist, you're listening to me? I hope you are today. If you say there is no God, you're a fool. That's what it says. Prove that there isn't. You have a much bigger thing to prove than I do. Now, you're going to have to figure out creation, and evolution is a stupid, stupid thought process. I don't know where Darwin came up with that. Doesn't cut it. You've got to prove a lot of things if you're an atheist today. You think it's on me? No. You need to know, you need to prove why you're even here then. You just happened? Prove that. You see, God is much bigger than all of that. To fear God is the first place, the first step to finding Him. If you do not fear God here today, that's the person I pity. That's the person I hope God gets a hold of, because that's where it has to start. To fear God, to, aus- to see Him as awesome as He is. Now, He being a God-fearer, He is seeking after God, and God is revealing more light. More light. More light. Now, Again, thinking of this division between Gentile and Jew, let's go to something. This is interesting. In John chapter 10, John chapter 10 and verse 16, Jesus says a statement here that at the time would have meant nothing to those that would have heard it. At least I don't think so. Now, he's talking about him being the shepherd. That's what John chapter 10 is about. He is the good shepherd. He giveth his life for the sheep. And as you go down there, all of the, the Jews would have, you know, the disciples would have seen that God was the shepherd of the Jews, right? Now watch what Jesus says in verse 16. And let's start in verse 14. I am the good shepherd, this is John chapter 10, verse 14, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. And am known of mine, I'm sorry, as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now watch verse 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. What do you think he's talking about there? It would have been the full church, one body. Gentiles and Jews and Samaritans and all of them would come to one shepherd and one fold. Isn't that amazing? That's back when he was speaking to the disciples on his journeys with them. All of those walls would come down. All of those walls would come down. In fact, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 for a moment. Ephesians chapter 2, and let's take a look at verses 11 through 14. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, Paul is writing here. He was basically, I would say, the one that God really prepared for the evangelization of the Gentiles. But as Peter opened the door to the Gentiles... Paul was the one that would have rushed through that door and even amazing what his life accomplished. Ephesians chapter 2, let's take a look at verse 11. Verse 11, Wherefore remember that you, 
being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. He's speaking to the church's Ephesus, very Gentile, who, were, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. Again, the division between Jew and Gentile in the flesh made by hands. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Ah, that's about as bad as it gets. But now... Oh, I love the butts in Scripture. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off and made nigh or close by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. He is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And again, I, that would have meant a lot to a Jew to know the walls were broken down. Just thinking of the temple and its whole. All of those, those pictures of, and statements that Paul made would have even been more vivid to the Jew. It's amazing how he inclu- it's so inclusive how Paul in Romans, let's go to Romans for a moment. There's no difference in sinners. There's not a Jew sinner and a Gentile sinner or one being worse or better than the other. Romans chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. Romans three twenty-two says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 11. Flip over to Romans chapter 11, verse 32. 11:32. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Do you see it? From God's perspective, he sees all as being sinners. All without life. All needing his grace, his mercy. Uh, that's what Paul wrote of. Now, the distinctions that... Peter would have had. We've kind of seen a bit of Cornelius. And Cornelius, oh, we should finish. Let's keep working on Cornelius for a moment. We find him to be very devout, very religious, but without Christ. Let me go back to Acts chapter 10. Let's go back there with me, please. And it finds that in this vision, there's an angel that comes on to him at, during his prayer time. Um, and, he sa- and he says, what is it, Lord? And he said, well, thy prayers have been heard. Now send men to Joppa. So remember, he's in, whoops, wrong map, but you know what, we, we can do that. He's in Caesarea, 30 miles south. He says, I want you to send somebody to Joppa. And I want you to go to a one for one called Simon, whose name is Peter. Simon Peter. And he's staying with Simon a Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. And he shall tell you what you ought to do. Ah, oh, isn't that good? Isn't that good? He says, I've been hearing your prayers. And because you're seeking me, you go send for Simon Peter, who's living with Simon the Tanner, and he's going to come and tell you what you should do. Now, there's something about faith, and this is for all. There's a principle here, and we find, we're going to find it not only in the one that does not know Jesus personally right now, but he's exercising faith. Peter himself, actually, will be exercising the very same thing. Now, to say that I have faith, tell me the value of that. If I just say, I've, I have faith. In what? In what? Yep, number one, what's it in? Is it valid? Is it, is it strong enough? But how do you know that I have faith? By your actions. By your actions. See, faith that does not obey is not true faith. It's just a spoken faith. You, but I'll tell you this right now. Scripture tells us in James that the demons, the devils, Believe that God is God. But they're not saved. 
because there's no action. There's no obedience. In fact, when they made a choice, now that's another thing I'm glad that I was not made or created an angel. I'll tell you why. Because I'm not very clever, and I could have gotten it wrong the first time. And they had one shot. Satan tells his story, I'm going to be like God, and you guys should be on my side because I'm going to be just as big, just as powerful, just as majestic, and I can beat God. That was his story. And then the Lord God who created them literally didn't have to say very much at all. They already knew who he was. They saw him in his majesty. I'm not even going to try to tell you how much they knew about God because they know more than we do. They've seen him in a fuller context than we could possibly even know. But they made a decision. And that one-shot decision determined where their eternity is for the rest of their eternity. And the ones that followed Satan... They're doomed to hell with him forever. They got one time. But it's interesting. If they believed, they would have obeyed. Just like us today. Someone that tells me that they believe in Jesus Christ, they don't do anything about it. There's no action. There's no obedience. I'm sorry, that doesn't cut it. In fact, Jesus has a lot to say about that, didn't he? In the Gospels. Let's see if I can find a few that I wrote down. Uh, da, da, da. Where did Larry write that stuff down? Let's go to John chapter, let's go to uh, Matthew 21 28 first. Matthew 21 28. Matthew 21 28. This is really good. You, maybe you've got a couple of kids like this. Parents, just kind of hold yourselves back for a moment. And in verse 21, chapter 21 of Matthew, verse 28, he tells a parable. And he says this, verse 28. But what think you? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first, and he said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. <laughs> I don't want to work in your vineyard. I don't want to go mow the lawn. I don't want to. Right? Now, I see parents smiling out there. That means maybe you've heard that. But look, it's, he said, but afterwards he repented and he went. Huh. So in other words, let's make this sure. Uh, let's just, hey, son, I want you to go mow the lawn. I don't really want to mow the lawn, Dad. Away he goes. But he's thinking while he's going away, I better go mow the lawn. So he goes and mows the lawn. Okay, got that. That's son one. Son two, he came to the second, and he said, likewise. So at this point, the father doesn't think he has anybody to mow the lawn, right? So he goes to the second son. He says, uh, son, I would, let's see, where is it? He came to the second, said, likewise. He said the same thing, and answered, and he said, I'm going to go, sir, absolutely. I'm going to go mow the lawn, Dad. But he didn't go. <laughs> so Jesus has set this up, and he says, well, verse 31 which one of the two did the will of his father? And they said unto him, well, the first. Jesus said unto them, verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. He's speaking to the Jewish leaders. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when you had seen it, repented, repented not afterwards that you might believe him. That's, an, that's a really powerful thing. In other words, the religious leaders say they have faith in God, but they rejected Jesus. They rejected everything that God had sent to them to repair their heart, if you will. And those publicans and sinners, or tax collectors, as would be the most unseemly folks, even though they said no initially, they accepted Christ. You see that? That's powerful. 
Faith that has no action or no obedience is not faith at all. Jesus is making that pretty clear. Let's go on to another one. Let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 15. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you truly believe in me, keep my commandments. Uh, chapter 21, verse 14. Paul, I'm sorry, John made a living out of saying that. It was just standard procedure for him to speak of an obedient faith. Uh, John chapter 21 and verse 14. John 21, 14. Now, this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he's risen from the dead, and that is not the verse I wanted, okay? He did do that, but that's not the verse I was looking for. Let's go to Luke chapter 9 for a moment. Luke chapter 9. Let's take a look at that one. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Luke 9, 23. And if you remember, well, let's look at this one first. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Christ, then follow him. That, that's, a, that's a difference. Did you see the difference? Faith that's active, that's obedient, is a faith that's true. And then if actually, if you go down to verse uh, 57, let's take a look at this. Making excuses for active faith. Uh, Luke chapter 9, you're still there. Look at verse 57. It came to pass that as they went in, in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Doesn't that sound good? Woohoo, right? And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He doesn't, hey, hey buddy, there's not a lot of goodies going on in my travels. Uh, my journey is going to be difficult. I want you to know that. So be, know what you're saying. And then he said afterwards, or he said unto another, he said, Follow me. And he said, Now did you notice what the first guy, he kind of like disappeared? Did you see that? Oh, you don't have a package? You don't have like that, that that really good at the end I get paid kind of stuff? Oh, well, see you later. So then Jesus sees another one. He says, follow me. Oh, uh, Lord, uh, allow me first to go and bury my father. And, you know, part of us is saying, what's wrong with that? His dad's not dead. Oh, (laughs) in other words, I don't want to follow you right now. I'll do it later. That was like I think I said last week. God's biggest file he has is the Sunday file. Sunday, I'll get to that. Well, let's see. Where's Larry in the Sunday file? Isn't it amazing how far we can put God off? That's an inactive faith. If you watch it, Cornelius, just take a step back. After the angel said, I want you to go send a couple of guys to Joppa, pick up Peter. He's going to come and tell you what you should do. The word is immediately he did that. He immediately did that. That's active faith. You want to turn that air conditioner on? That'd be great. There's a lot to faith. Let's keep going, though. He says to the next one, if you're still in Luke chapter 9, Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but thou, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Guess what? He disappears. Another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. In other words, again, it's later. I, I'm, I'm not re- I, I want to be part of your deal, but not right now. In fact, maybe not even really at all, but I just want to be part of your team. No, there's no place for that. Do you, do you see that? It's all through the Gospels. Jesus' sense of faith is activity and obedience. Get on with it. Get on with it. Faith that all works is dead. So let's go back to Acts and let's watch. 
this unfold. Acts chapter 10. Verse 7, chapter 10, when the angel which spake on Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. This is someone he could count on. So he sent three guys, and when he declared all of these things on them, he sent them to Joppa, 30-mile trip. On the morrow, the next day, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up unto the housetop to pray about the six hour. Now, now, this is interesting. So far, we've got Cornelius tuned in. God has sovereignly prepared Cornelius for what's to come. You've seen that, right? He sovereignly picks him, and he's allowing him a plan to get more information because he's seeking God. You can't miss the seeking God. He's after it. His will is submissive. He's actively in faith. He's going to go get this done. But guess who doesn't know this yet? Peter. (laughs) You know, so you have the, the receiver... God's been working on. That's why if, you're, if there's someone in your, in your family, in your world, in your team, in your somewhere that you really are trusting would get saved, that you want to see saved, first and foremost, pray that the Holy Spirit would prepare the heart. Salvation is of God. That's the place to start. Because you could have the most winsome words. You could have the gospel uh, just, just fluid, shall we say. But if the heart is not prepared, it's not likely to work. Do you see that? Incredibly important. But now, so we're going to have the receiver, Cornelius, but where's the messenger? Well, he's already told them to go to Joppa, which is a couple days away, probably, 30 miles. You're probably going to get that, if you really hustled, in two days. But I'm sorry, in one day, but probably two. Well, it just so happens that God's sovereignty is at working now in the life of Peter. But he's been doing this for a while. There's been walls coming down. I've already talked to you about him living with Simon the Tanner. That's not cool if you're a Jew. That is not cool at all. That's not cool. He's actually in, in, in a whole other realm of where he being the apostle could have taken a lot of publicity flack for surrounding himself with unclean things. So God is already breaking down walls. The bigotry, the bias, the, the prejudice is peeling away and crumbling before... Peter, but there's a big one coming. This is a big one. Because I'm pretty sure that if these guys, these three Gentiles, show up at Simon the Tanner's house, knock on the door and say, "Uh, we're looking for a Simon Peter because our Cornelius, our boss Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, wants you to come to his house. Oh, I don't think so. Because you didn't do that. You didn't do that at all. You didn't even have Gentiles come in your house, let alone you going to a Gentile's house. There's a difference between that even. So how's God going to set this up? Well, just the same way as he does everything. On the morrow, they went up on their journey, verse 9, drew nigh into the city. Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now, it's interesting. Both of these gentlemen, being independent, got their insight while they were praying. How much praying are you doing? Do you need insight? Do you need wisdom? You need understanding? I'll tell you the best place to do that is in prayer. Get in prayer with God. And that's not just doesn't have to be the sixth hour or the ninth hour. Like we talked about, I think, last week, praying is a state of mind. Praying all the time. Talking with God constantly. These last, this, I don't know, the weeks are just, they're incredible, aren't they? The pressures that are without. I'm praying to God all the time. I need the every hour. It's my favorite. It's actually, a, it's, a, it's a jingle that's in my head. That song, you know, the old hymn, I need thee every hour. It's going all the time because I need him. Not every hour, I need him every second. 
It's amazing how God does work sovereignly, though. I, I don't know why, but this story is, keeps bouncing inside my head, so I have to share it with you. I, sometimes I probably do too much personal stuff with you. But See, I was on a Tuesday, and I was going to, oh, it's, I, I just got to jump into this. But there was a tractor. We'd lost a PTO on, a, on our bagging tractor, and the guy that I'd bought a, another piece of equipment, he said, just come and get mine. It's in Manhattan or Churchill, okay? So I had another tractor I needed to drop off at Harrison, so I do that, put on machinery, drop it off, and I told my guys, I'm not even going to come to the ranch with it. I'm going to drop it off at the intersection of 359 and 287 because i got to go. I want to get to this other tractor before dark because I really don't know what I'm doing or where I'm going, okay? So it sounds good so far, right? Well, after it's like 9 o'clock now when I'm leaving the tractor at first, and I'm going to Three Forks, and I flip on my lights, and the trailer lights aren't going to work. They're, I can see they're not on. You know, and you know what you do then? You just flip the switches harder because it's probably not making a connection, right? <laughs> and then the headlights are going on and off. <laughs> That's what I said. Oh, right? I'm like, come on. So I kind of, you know, and it's not dark yet, but, you know, I, this is going to be a problem because I've got a long ways to go until I get home. So I pull in the town pump. Now, most of the people who go to Town Pump go all the way in Three Forks. Are you familiar with that, with that one? You go all the way around to the back where the trucks park. I'm wanting to get out. I want to get this thing figured out. So I pull right in, take a hard right, and you can park right underneath the sign. There's sort of some light there, right? And it's still not dark. Don't get me wrong with that. I, I, it's not. But it's going to be. Oh, well, wouldn't you know it? The trailer plug that fits in my trailer had come out, dropped on the pavement, and all I had left was hot wires. Goody, right? Goody. So I'm thinking. So I called Zach. I said, "Do you have a wiring diagram? I'll, I think I can get one in the town pump. You know, a, a pigtail." And so he says, "Yeah." I said, He's, "I've got one. I'll send you an image." So you know, we're all rolling along. I'm inside town pump, and I'm gathering up, you know, stuff because I have zero tools in my truck. Even though I should have tools in my truck, I do not have tools in my truck. So I'm buying the necessary screwdrivers and whatever I need. Well, and I'm paying, and all of a sudden. My phone is blowing up, and it's somebody from Arkansas. And right now, I don't know that number from Arkansas, and I'm like, that's weird. So, and I'm still paying, so I, you know, I don't pick up because I, you know, for more reasons than one, honestly. And I'm walking, and it just, I mean, it's like four or five times in a row, just, you know, hangs up, hits it again. I think, what is this about? So I pick up, and. And, you know, I don't even know what he says. I'm such and such from um, a towing company or something. And, uh, and I'm just walking out the door, and I can see this tow truck next to my truck. Just a single, you know, like the ones that would just pull a car up. Not, not the big semis, but, the, you know, he's got the single axle. We pull a car on the top and go, go do your thing. And he says, uh, are you okay? I said, well, yes and no. <laughs> I've got some electrical problems, but, no, I'm okay. I was just inside getting some He says, well... I'm really, really concerned about you, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll help you. So actually, this guy, he just he's parked there, and now we got flashlights, right? We're, and it went a lot better with two than one, because I couldn't, my headlamp, which I always have with me, didn't have it, couldn't buy one. So I've got this, you know, you know how it is. You hold a flashlight in your mouth, and you're, two guys are better than one. That's all I'm going to say at this point. So the guy sticks it out, and I said, what was it? Why did you stop? What made you stop? He said, well, he says, I'm not only a, I work for this, for this company um, as a tow, but he said, when I drove past your truck, your door was open, which <laughs> never thought about that. I'm in a hurry, right? And he said, the truck's running. 
I'm a paramedic. That's a big fat warning. And I stopped. I just had to make sure you were okay. And my wife who's in the military, she's cybersecurity. She looked up your numbers and I just started dialing. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> now, I'm, and I said, I said, you know, the first, it's, it's impressive to me for you to care that much to stop. That's a busy little place. I don't know if you, Bozeman's a stupid, that whole place is stupid, right? And him to see an open door on a running truck. I'm going to be honest, guys. Everything, I'm not a paramedic. I'm gone, right? But it, it just woed him up. And he said, hey, and I will help anybody fix anything. His name's John. So we get done, and we're done, and I said, John, I don't know where you are with God, but this was a God moment. He said, I'm good with him, Larry. I said, we've got a little church over there in Ruby Valley, and he just gives me this great big hug. That's a God thing, right? That timing of that is amazing. It's just like, and that's why I guess I got to tell this little story, because it happened to me this week, but it fits the sermon perfectly, because we got, a, we got a receiver, Cornelius, but he needs a messenger, and God hasn't got the messenger tuned in yet, but he's about to. Watch what he does with Peter now. I mean, <laughs> Peter's going to have a vision of his own. It's going to be a different hour, but he's praying, and it says that he's on the housetop. What a great place to pray to pray about the six hour. And that's noon. Now think of that. That's, that's really important because it says, and he was, became very hungry. That's a great time for God to instill some deep principles about things, food, about food. It's noon. He's praying. He's very hungry. But while they're preparing it, he falls into this trance, if you will, or a vision. And he saw heaven opened. Verse 11. And a certain vessel descending up Onto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to earth. It's, it's, almost, like, it's almost like a tarp, if you will, and they're pulled up. And within this whole entourage of this, now coming down from heaven, that's key, coming down from heaven right before him. And now he's starving, right? Got it? You're hungry. And then this is said. Oh, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the earth. This is a complete camaraderie of every imaginable thing, which, now, this is where we're going to get to. Leviticus chapter 11 would be very definitive to a Jew of what you could and could not eat. Very delineated. Uh, there came a voice to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. I mean, just, just go in there and get something. Peter said, no, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, that's how deep this partition is, this wall is. Now, now this is important. What had Peter done thus far in regards to those traditions? He'd done nothing wrong because he'd followed the Jewish traditions. But what God is actively doing, he's been doing, and that's why I went back to the Gospels. These walls in the temple have been busted down. There's no temple required anymore. The resurrection of Jesus Christ destroyed all of that. There's no need for it. You, anyone can go into the temple, to the Holy of Holies, and approach with powerful grace. I'm sorry, getting the power of grace at the very essence of the high priest, the only high priest we need, and that's Jesus Christ. No other priest is needed. That is fantastic news. But all of these other trivial things now 
God is going to break down. He's going to take these partitions because he wants Jews and Gentiles in the same place. Right now, if you were going to ask Peter to go to the house of a Gentile, he would say, oh, uh, now I'm the wrong guy. You've got to get somebody else to do that. Now look at this. It's ingrained. It's pretty entrenched. The whole, and the voice spake unto him again. This is really important now. The second time and said, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And I, again, I want to make sure you understand. This isn't just putting, putting a rope around a bunch of stuff on earth. Where did this come from? It came from heaven. This package of eateries came from heaven. And what you are, what I, God, am saying is clean, don't you dare call unclean. And it says that, the next verse, that he did it three times. This was done three times, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision should, which he had seen should mean. Now, that's right. That would be putting it mildly. What is God trying to tell me here now? This is craziness. And it's very vivid. I mean, this, there's nothing. It's not. If you, sometimes you, you've dreamed, and, and it's amazing how quickly that falls away, right? Like, huh, what was that about? I remember it being ran over by something. I can't, right? This was very vivid. This was something coming out of heaven. An enclosure, a tarp, if you will, full of all kinds of living creatures. Some of them clean, some of them unclean. And he's asked to go ahead and have anything in there. Oh, no, 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 you get, no, 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 I'm a, I'm a good Jew. And he said, well, what I've called clean, don't you dare call unclean. And it's repeated three times. No wonder he's doubting with himself. What am I, what's going on? Now, at, in other words, behold, behold. At that very instant, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry at Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodger. Now, you can't miss. This is great. Peter's up on the housetop praying, right? He gets the vision. And this three, after the third time of being said, go ahead and eat of that. Peter, that's all good for you. And at the same time, these guys come in and say, we're looking for Simon Peter. Is he here? Oh, my goodness. That's God's sovereign timing. That's my little town pump escapade. Right? That wasn't by happenstance. That wasn't accident. There's, there's a timing in all of that. <laughs> well, Peter thought on the vision. He's still upstairs. The Spirit said on him, Behold, three men seek you. Arise, therefore, get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing. Doubting nothing. React in faith. For I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto them from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause that you have come? They said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, he's hearing Gentile, and one that feareth God, and of the good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for you into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. Stop. You've just, you've probably read that a million times and you just, no big deal. Let me tell you how big a deal that is. He has just asked three Gentile men to come to his house and to eat and to sleep for that day. Peter has gotten the message. Those walls have crumbled. What God has called clean, do not call unclean. There's a message for us there as well. If there's prejudices, if there's biases within us of keeping us from being everything that are places that God wants us to go, we need to think about that. 
I mean, the scripture is very clear. The church is one body, Jew and Gentile. No separation. One Lord, Jesus Christ. One Spirit, the Holy Spirit. That was the other thing that's so important in the book of Acts. That's why the Holy Spirit in different instances was given to them with Peter being in, turning the keys of the kingdom. Sometimes we see as the gift of the Holy Spirit as being something that is asked for as a separate event. No, a thousand times no. But imagine if we would have had the church of Jerusalem, we would have had the church of the Samaritans and the church of the Gentiles. You'd have division. But in each and every one of those cases, Peter was instigating and validating that the same spirit came on each one of those groups. And as he reported back to the church of Jerusalem, that's what made the thing work. It's the same spirit with the same results. That's of God. That's of God. So he calls them and he lodges them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied. Again, so things, those little small things. Uh, I think you got to go over to, let's see, where do I have to find that? Uh, let's see, where was that? Shoot, didn't write that one down. Anyway, uh, maybe I'll come across it later here. But it says certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. There's another verse in Acts that tells us there was six Orthodox Jews that went with Peter to a Gentile's house. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Now, guess who didn't say to do that? God never told him to take anybody with. But talk about blow the minds of the entire place. God was leading Peter now by desire. That's how he leads us. If you're in Jesus Christ and you have a submissive will, guess what? The desires of your heart are met because God is leading you through them. Peter desired for God's will to be accomplished. He chose six men to go with him, Orthodox Jews, to go to a Gentile's house not knowing exactly what would happen. Great strength in that, yes. 11.12, okay, I was looking at 11.14, obviously that wasn't working for me. Let's go to 11.12 then. He showed us how he had seen an angel in his house. Whoops, I'm in verse 13. The Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. Oh, my goodness. That is huge. That is massive. Things, walls are breaking down. Walls are going down. Verse 24. On the morrow, after they had entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. Now, do you see the action of faith? So, Cornelius, now, why wouldn't he... Lord, can I just go to this guy? Can I just go to Simon Peter? No, that's not the plan. So what is he doing in the time that he's waiting? What would you do? Do you know what Peter, you don't even know who Peter is. You don't know anything about this Peter guy except God, in a vision, told you to go get him, come to your house. What did, what did he do? He called all his family. Hey, you won't believe this. There's a guy coming tomorrow. Well, maybe two days. And I don't know what he's going to tell us, but God told me he's going to tell us a lot of really good things. So why don't you guys come over? We're going to have like a, a meeting. Let's just come on in. Can you imagine that? House is full. Cornelius talked about taking a risk, but he trusted God. 
his faith was obedient. Now, as they're going, here comes Peter. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, verse 25, and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Now, if there was ever a chance for Peter to accept worship, it would have been from someone that's a Gentile, which is so far down the totem pole, they wouldn't even been in the same realm. But you know what Peter said? Get up. I'm a man just as you are. Now, there are some, some what should I say, denominations or some religions that literally would raise Peter up to the point that he is worshipped. There are statues of Peter that literally they are worshipping him. If there was ever a verse that should blow, blow that completely out of the water, it would be that verse. Here is a Gentile man that does not know Jesus Christ personally and falls down to worship at Peter's feet. And Peter says, get up. I don't think you should even worship me. That's strong, isn't it? And scripture, scripture alone should be our level of delineation. Not tradition, not anything else. That says a lot. Peter says, no, of course not. Get up, I'm a man. As he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, you know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come into one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. That journey of him coming through, it was too clear what God was trying to tell him. At the very instant when he got this vision, he's trying to figure out what it is. Three Gentiles throw up at the door and it all starts to come together. But did you see where it said unlawful? I'm going to tell you about another circumstance. Now, you could read this is for afternoon reading today. If you go to Acts chapter 21, you will find that this is the final arrest of, of Paul. Paul is going to be arrested again for something that happened at the temple. There was a man called Trophimus. You'll find him in your reading. And Trophimus was from Ephesians, from, from Ephesus, and he was a Gentile. Okay? And he was, Paul was falsely accused of taking Trophimus beyond the Gentile courtyard, in further into the temple. And they were going to kill Paul for that. Now do you see how deep this is? That's how deep the Gentile-Jew conflict was. Even though it was false, and think of what God did with that again. You know, there's things that are going to happen to you probably this week, this month, this year. You'll just say, hey, I, don't deserve, I didn't deserve any of that. Where did that come from? People saying things, slandering you, who, who knows, stealing from you, whatever it might be, whatever happens. I'll tell you what, God is bigger than any one of those circumstances. He can use it for his glory. Paul, I can't imagine what if it would have happened. Now, God wrote the story. I'm not here to say, but if it would have been different, it would have been of God as well. But think of what happened because of an imprisonment. And literally, his life was saved. They were going to kill him right there on the spot. And the Romans intervened and grabbed him out of there. Ultimately, Paul would have witnessed to the entire household of Caesar. And there were those that got saved. In fact, in some of his later letters, they were with him in Christ. Whatever happens to you, God can use to develop and to expand his kingdom. The, the, the martyr Stephen, I mentioned that next morning in the Christian community, thinking of this young man that was amazing. He was amazing. And his life was snuffed out. And yet... As we turn around and look back, and I read in the, in the book of Acts, his martyrdom, and I, oh, our map's gone. Literally, the reason that we're here today is because Stephen's martyrdom, the persecution that went rampant, drove the message of Jesus Christ across the globe. That's how you got saved. The things that are bad in your life, with God being in control of it, makes it powerful, makes it incredibly powerful. Because God can use anything for his purposes. 
and you're still safe in his arms. Now, I didn't say everything's easy. Oh, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, many of you are going through some very deep trials, very deep trials. But the trying of your faith worketh patience. It worketh maturity. It takes you to another level. If, you hadn't, if you're not going through this, then there's another level that you wouldn't be ready for. God needs men and women that will stand in the gap. God needs men and women that are ready to have their faith to prove to be action. God needs to have men and women that say they love God to keep his commandments. I look at these two men, never met one another before. And one of them is about to hear from God through Peter. We're going to save that for next week. But just think of that, how sovereign God is. He's doing things right now. In fact, I want to, here's a verse I was going to share with you earlier. Go to Isaiah chapter 65. I, I've gotten in the habit of saying that he knows what you need before you do. And that is actually very scriptural. Uh, Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 24, I believe it is. Yeah, there it is. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Isn't that good? God knows your need before you do. And he's working out the details. As these guys, just think of this. Those three Gentiles are coming to a house that they don't know where it's at exactly. That's in the city of Joppa. And literally the guy that they're going to get doesn't even know they're coming to get it. Until at just the right moment when all of those things would just clear up. That's the God I want to serve. That's the God you should serve. Boy, lots of good things in this passage. True faith demands a response. Trust and obey, as that old hymn says, trust and obey. Those walls were broken down. I, I, don't, I don't really know where I want to... I think we'll, Let's close with um, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. It's the but gods in Scripture. There's one more that I'd like to share with you. Ephesians chapter 2. And let's just start in verse 1. Now, there's some really bad news, really bad news, and it gets worse... And then God inter intervenes. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened, that's to be made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Ah! Among whom also we all had our conversation, our citizenship, in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, and of the mind, and were by nature of the children of wrath, even as others. I mean, that's as bad as you could paint it, Right? And then verse 4, but God. <laughs> you know, Cornelius, he's searching for God, but he can't find him. But God. Peter is struggling with all of these inhibitions and these bigotry, this prejudice, all of these things. But God. Now let's see what but God does. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened or made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Hath raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amazing that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And then these two verses everyone knows. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should believe. Even the faith is given from him. And then verse 10, for we are his workmanship, our masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That is a fabulous passage of Scripture. But God. And that's, that's the difference. You can read the first three verses and you're depressed beyond belief. Ha, ah, there's no way out. You're right. 
but God, God provided. And we have become his masterpiece, his workmanship for those around us. So take this week that God has given to you and use it to his glory. Make decisions that are based upon what you know to be right. It's always the right time to do the right thing. It's one of my mottos that I use. I'm glad that that man, John, saw an open door and stopped. It was the right time to do the right thing, wasn't it? Now, will we take those opportunities to do the right thing at the right time? It's always the right time. There's never a wrong time to do the right thing. Break those walls down. Let God sovereignly work in your life. Larry, we've been going through Acts and going through Peter and Philip and Stephen. Now, do you think the, the temple, do you think the veil, do you think the priests tried to repair that veil and try to keep that whole thing going? Um, after that was split, I mean, did they try to... More than, more than likely... Uh, they, would have, they would have tried to repair it, uh, bring things back to normal. See, because we, we don't like things different. We're very, we're very habit-forming, aren't we? We like things the way they were. We don't want to change things. And they mourned, but there was, there was a group, I don't know if I can find that right now, but there were priests that followed after the church. So there were those that would have saw, wow. That's crazy. In fact, 6 5 is in my mind. I don't know if I'm right. Acts 6 5? It's probably not right, but that's what just popped in. Let me take a quick look. No, that's not it. Oh, yeah, it's, it's 7, I think. There we go. The word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So, as a result of all that had happened, that had to make an impact on them. Now, but back to your question, I'm sure they would have tried to have done something. You know, it would be like hanging a bed sheet over there now. I mean, what are you going to do, right? And there's something broken, though. See, that's broken. When that veil was, was split and people were able to see into the Holy of Holies, it's no longer the same, right? You can't uninvent the sacredness of that, right? You would see it for everything that it was. And the really cool thing is, is that Jesus Christ paid for everything that needed to happen inside that. That was the significance. That Holy of Holies, that mercy seat, which was the blood of a goat that went on that, was paid for when Jesus Christ became our Passover. That was the heat of that discussion. Now, of course, the religious leaders didn't want any part of that Messiah. They didn't see him that way. They would have tried to repair it. Just like they're trying to They want to build another temple. They actually have all the materials. I shouldn't say all. That's a big word. But they have many of the materials gathered up in Israel right now to build another temple. Because you know what? When the Romans destroyed that temple in 70 AD, there's never been another one. Never been another one. And they think that's the answer. They want to go back to the sacrificial system. And somewhere probably in the Great Tribulation, they will probably be availed to that opportunity. And guess what will show them? serves no good whatsoever. And within a very short time, at seven years, at the very end of the Great Tribulation, at the end, it says that they will see him for who he is. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. They as a nation will see Jesus Christ as their Messiah. That's what God has set out to do for over 2,000 years. And in the 2,000 years, parenthesis, we are the fortunate receivers of his grace package that the Jews kicked down the trail. As Jesus literally responded by turning the gospel. Jerusalem, and when they finally killed Stephen, that was 
It's the end of literally the Jews coming on. But now they're still welcome. Messianic Jews, those that trust Christ today, come the same way we do. Trust Christ. But when they killed Stephen, it was like they turned away. Then they went to the uttermost parts of the world, Samaria, to the Gentiles, everywhere else in the world that would receive Christ. But it's amazing. Your question's really good because that's exactly what they would have done, was to try to bring it back to normalcy. And when Jesus Christ died, he said, it's finished. And that was the end of the beginning. What a great God we serve. It's amazing. Amazing. Why don't you guys, I'm not going to go there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Just read it in your notes. It talks about, again, the, the divisions that are gone. With that, no other further questions or comments. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for Peter. Thank you for his availability, which we saw last week. He was available. May we be available as well. That's the one ability we bring before you, Father. There's nothing else we bring. Nothing else is required. But are we available? May our, tr may our faith truly be obedient. May we follow immediately to what we know to be true, regardless of circumstances. Father, we thank you for what you're accomplishing in our lives. We ask that literally today you would be with each one of these dear ones that are gathered here today. The challenges that they face, either individually or their families, whatever it might be, Father, you know their needs more than they do, before they do. Father, use it to, a, to make them better. Use those circumstances to mature them. Use those circumstances to literally perfect them. And Father, may they respond with obedient faith. Thank you for loving us and caring for us, for Jesus dying for us. Ultimately, our whole future, our hope is in him because he is our peace. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to be doing. Take our steps, our journey. May you be glorified and may we be blessed as we honor and submit to you. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.